1: Hey everybody! Welcome back to the Grey Malkin Lane podcast, where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics in continuity order. I am so happy to be welcoming the esteemed and incredible Rob Kirby to the show today as our featured guest, uh, and I'm I'm uh, happy to be co-hosting with two of my dear friends, Scott Geest and Seth Martel. Today we are going to be jumping into a slightly newer early '70s. Uh, series. We have now wrapped up our Amazing Adventures conversation. We're going to be jumping for the next five episodes into a little series called Astonishing Tales. We'll talk about that in the latter half. Today's issue is not X-Men specific, but it does set up a very X-Men specific story. So we're going to talk about Kraven the Hunter and Kazar and their horny breakup uh, in the latter half of today's, uh, today's uh, episode. But uh, first, let's get to know our guests a little bit. Let me have you each use your name and pronouns to introduce yourselves. Let us know where we might know you from. And today's question is what's the most impressive taxidermy you have ever seen? Uh, Let's begin with Mr. Rob Kirby. Hi, Rob. Welcome to Gray Malkin Lane. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, My name is
2: Rob Kirby. I'm a cartoonist living in St. Paul, Minnesota. He, him, his pronouns. Um, You might have, you know, if if you've been reading queer comics for the last I don't know 30 years or so you might have seen some of my zines like I'm well known for Boy Trouble which was collected it was a zine I did uh with David Kelly joined me very quickly uh and then we uh actually ended up getting a couple of uh book collections uh with Green Candy Press in the mid aughts uh the book of boy trouble 1 and the book of boy trouble 2 um my strip curbside ran in an LGBTQ plus and alternative papers uh for a good got 17 from like 91 to 2008 um and it's collected in a couple paperbacks they won a xeric grant for curbside and then uh, cleas press did curbside boys in 2002 and my new book that I'm kind of plugging is marry me a little it's a graphic memoir about getting married and not getting gay married and not being so sure you want to do that, but you do it anyway. And it's just basically, they're all, and my guests are all holding up their copies. So that's really cool. That makes me very happy. Um, and it was recently picked as an Oprah magazine, top uh, top graphic novel of 2023. And I'm going to stop talking there.
1: Uh,
2: oh, and the taxidermy. Um, Is mm-hmm. I supposed to talk? Oh, uh, hmm. I would probably guess, hmm. If it's not real, but I love the birds in Psycho that Norman Bates did. Those are great. But um, I would say maybe the ones in the Museum of Natural History in New York City, uh, I think they're taxidermied. I'm super not up on my taxidermy. And there's probably some great answer that in my memory that I'm just not thinking of. But I'm just going to go with the animals in the Museum of Natural History.
0: Like the dioramas, like those big.
1: Ones.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm sure some of them must have been like taxidermied,
1: right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, let's go over to uh, my friend Scott Geese This is Scott's first time on the show, but we've been interacting for months. Uh, Scott has been working on the show's Discord. We have big plans for the Sentinels together. Scott, it's great to meet you in person. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well today,
3: Chad. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, so my pronouns are he, him, his. And then uh, people don't probably know me from anything. Uh, I'm the community manager for... Uh, for Grey Malcolm Lane. And that's sort of what I that's my first up foray into this wild world of uh of comic book uh
1: stuff as a Comic book podcasting, man. There's a whole subculture
3: <laughs> It is uh it is really wild. I was I was joking with a friend the other day and I was saying I listened to I I religiously listened to not one, not two, but three different gay X Men related podcasts, and they were like, Oh, of course, because that's a thing. And I'm like, it is a thing, it actually
1: is a thing. So there, yeah, it. there's like a whole sub circuit. It's nuts. Uh, what's the most impressive taxidermy you've ever seen, Scott? Uh, in 2016?
3: No, 2012. I was living... I was No, it was in 2015. Never mind. I know what year it is. I really do. I promise. Uh, in 2015, I was living in Europe. Uh, I went on a holiday to Berlin and uh, I went to the German Museum of Natural History and they had a, uh, a whole bunch of really interesting taxidermy, but the ones that I like most were they had this like background that you could go into but they had all of the things that they had had from decades before in there and they had a bunch of specimen jars of weird protozoan animals and then they also had taxidermies of like bo- of foxes and it was just it was it was interesting because i think lots of times people just see the front end but i sort of got to see the back end of it saw the like evolution of taxidermy as i walked through the walked through the halls and i was like this is bizarre and ridiculous and i love it
1: uh, and lastly, but not leastly, I'm so thrilled to invite my dear friend Seth Martell back to the show. Seth does the art for Grey Malkin Lane and the trading cards. We've
0: been very dear friends for a couple of years now. Seth, it's great to see you. Hi. Hi, everybody. Hi, Chad. Uh, thank you for having me, and it's good to see you, all of you. Uh, you, My name's Seth Martell, he, him. You might know me from my graphic novel, The Mayor, um, or, as Chad said, bunch of stuff for the show and a lot of X-Men art. And I think think the coolest taxidermy I ever saw, I'm going to drop it in the chat for the guys in here, but you all should look it up at home. There is an artist called Kate Clark. She's from New York and she takes animal taxidermy and builds it into human face sculptures and merges the two where she then like pins pieces of hide across the sculpting, like the sculptured faces that she has rendered and turns them into these animal human hybrid taxidermies. And they are so cool in person. They are so creepy in person because they're truly like hybrids of amazing faces that she's a super talented sculptor. I just and clicked that, this link and I hate these so much. Oh, they're <laughs> so cool.
3: It's uh, I mean, it's giving me very Sweet Tooth vibes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's been doing it for a very long time. I saw her at a local gallery here and her things are in person just so striking because they're life-size. So, I mean, they're like, they're truly like you walk into a room and they're like, there's such a presence because they're animal and human sized and made of real materials. So incredible. Also,
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, lastly i'm chad anderson i use he him pronouns i am the host of the show i'm also a former Marvel comics handbook writer a documentarian and a memoirist i uh i am a vegetarian and the sole reason is i don't like dead animals roadkill makes me wretch taxidermy makes me wretch i hate it but my little sister who is gay her name is sherry Uh, she sometimes listens to the show hi sherry love you Uh, She hates taxidermy animals even worse. Now, quick funny story. One time, Sherry and another of my sisters love to go ghost hunting together. They'll famously stay in like haunted hotels or excuse me, not famously. They'll stay in famous haunted hotels and like bring all the equipment to like measure like the, the, the electroplasmic whatever shit that they use. Uh, we So I went with them on one trip. We're in a rural town and we go into this hotel and they've got all their ghost stuff out. They're so excited. But they discover the decor of this hotel is all like taxidermy animals. They're everywhere, all over the walls, of the lobby. We get up to our room and there's like taxidermy pheasants and ducks right outside and inside. And my little sister, as we step into the room, goes, listen, you fucking ghost. I don't care if you scare me or climb into bed with me, but if you put one of these fucking birds in bed with me, we're going to have problems. And every time I see taxidermy, that's the story that I think of now. Uh, Sherry would not like Craven the Hunter's Living Room, which is what we will get to uh, later in this show, which is full of taxidermy. Uh, Okay, we are going to start, Mr. Rob Kirby, by celebrating your career a little bit. You are incredible, and you have such an intense history in the queer community I would love to begin by just asking the uh, the bizarre question of what was your life like in
2: 1991? 1991. In 1991, I uh, was writing on this whole queer zine thing. I had discovered queer zines. I picked up a copy for free at comic book college of knowledge a store in minneapolis a comic book store so you know i was already into comics and this and that and um i picked up a copy of holy tit clamps number 5 holy tit clamps that is the name of it um and I, it was it was a uh, file under queer it said on the cover and it was it was free take one so i grabbed one and i just changed my life finally was able to connect with already cool queer people because uh, I was always really kind of um, not so much into the mainstream gay culture. I found it really uh, kind of alienating and uh, bougie and just not my thing, you know. Uh, so this put me in a whole, into contact with a whole network of artists and cartoonists and writers and musicians. Um, they were all doing their own thing, DIY. Um, and uh, it made me, of course, I'm like, hey, I should do this too. And I, and this also helped me connect with my artistic drive which was always in me but i was never focused. i had never focused it you know um i i would try to do realistic drawings and stuff and i never enjoyed it i would just get frustrated um i just i just hadn't connected everything because i have the artistic talent but i just had never focused it and i had and i hadn't found my voice and this zines helped me find my voice so i did a comic book called strange looking exile number one which was based on you know the title sounds a little scarier than it really was but it was just about just the stupid little autobiocomics that i about that i did you know and they were kind of cute and stuff but people seemed to really like them um they they were kind of in contrast to a lot of the cuisines were that were really you know rough hewn and uh lots of nudity and uh not that i don't love nudity but um i just kind of didn't do that, and I'm. I was also really looking for community. I was really trying to uh, find my people, you know, as it were, you know, not that I didn't have friends and all that, but I really wanted some people that I know that understood this whole zine thing. And so this whole network, I dove right in, this is pre-internet. So I was creating that and, and the people, the people at the newspaper, the LGBTQ, plus newspaper called equal time locally I was doing illustrations for them and uh they asked me they saw I showed them my zine and they said hey you want to do a comic strip and I said yeah and so I started doing curbside which morphed into all kinds of other stuff books and anthologies and this and that yeah so that was 91 for me so like kind of it it was an exciting time for me
1: 1991 is such an interesting era of history I was 13. Uh, I was very closeted and in a rural community, but this is the MTV generation. For X Men fans, this is when X Men Volume 2 was launching and Rob Layfeld was coming onto X Force. We were getting edgier art. Uh, When I say the MTV generation, that's what I'm talking about. The consistency of our storylines was changing, and the presence of queer characters, even in mainstream books, started being hinted at more actively. But queer communities were starting to form in kind of new ways. In the 80s, it was a little bit subculture, where in my estimation in the 90s, queer clubs were starting to become more of a prominent thing. But the AIDS crisis was also in full bloom. This is an era of feminism and like punk rock. And zines are such a huge part of the queer culture in this era. Uh, To see and meet you like knowing this is such a groundbreaking piece for queer history in that way. God, it makes us sound old when I say it that way. But uh, tell, tell people a little bit, if you would, Rob, about what a zine is and what it represented to this kind of AIDS political culture at the time.
2: Well, basically in publishing, there is there are gatekeepers, i.e., publishers that will like accept or reject you and probably reject you a lot. I think zines are a really great playground because you can kind of just do your thing and you you're publishing it, at least at first you are, and it just gives you license to just do whatever you want. You're mostly anonymous and and so it just um it just uh, fuse I mean, all your energy, you can just put it out there and then you over time you hone it and stuff and I you know I look at my first issue, I'm just like, oh my God, that those awful stories I did. Some of them were terrible, but um it it was just a there was really no judgment um it was just it's just pure self-expression and self empowerment really um and and it, and it really was and it is their wonderful gateway to meeting other people and one of the biggest zines one of the i mean this zine got into newsweek it was so groundbreaking it was called disease pariah news and it was for people with hiv um it, it was by and for them and it was not like touchy-feely I and mean, it was like really irreverent they would do like porn reviews um and th- they were really hilarious and there were comics um and uh there was, and there were recipes like eat, get fat, don't die, you know, cause you know, AIDS really took its toll on people's bodies and they would put in lots of calorie rich fattening, you know, food to make, to prepare, to keep yourself, you know, as robust as you possibly could. And eventually I think all the guys died the, the, uh, putting out the zine, but it was, it was just like a wonderful, uh, Way to say like you know we're this we are not our disease. I mean they were obviously it was very black humor, um, uh, and it was it was so groundbreaking. It got a, there was an article in Newsweek magazine. I remember telling Larry Bob the uh, the Larry Bob Roberts who was like one of the the Holy Tick Clamps guy who was like one of the main people of the movement of the queer zine movement you know, that it was the news we just couldn't believe it. It We thought it was so amazing, even though people like Riot Girls and all that often wondered, do you, uh, how much mainstream attention do you really want? So there was always that tension between, you know, no, keep it underground. Like, no, I want a bigger audience.
0: You were like such a prominent seamster for so long. Like I have, you know, I have some of the ones here. Oh, look at those. Yeah. And and, um, I just like, like Yeah. yeah, but like what, what made you feel ready to take on like a, big chunk of your story for your book like what was the transition that made you really yeah like what made you go long form there and and just oh time you know
2: yeah well i think it's because i was i'm at a certain age now and i i just i just feel like you know you know i wasn't sure i was gonna ever do an another book and i thought well why don't i just do a story why don't i like do like show the world i can do i can do a solo book i hadn't done a solo book in since 2002 which was um uh curbside boys at Cleus press published they were prominent uh um a ground um edgy publisher in San Francisco at the time they I think they finally closed their doors about 10 12 years ago um but I, um oh yeah uh so yeah so I figured okay if I'm ambivalent about getting gay married right that that's interesting to me right then and there that 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 is there's a story there what why why was i ambivalent about it i mean i just thought there it's such a it's such a an interesting topic to explore and so i just went top to bottom i ex i you know i kind of described exactly what we did and you know i even like you know choosing the wine and blah 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 but also putting it in in cultural historical and personal context marriage you know and i even you know there's a chapter uh, about movies that where they use those those that trope of people fleeing their their wedding before it happens because they just can't take the pressure and i just thought that's a very interesting trope i mean and, and it's always very um very uh contrived but it really speaks to a big step that marriage is because you know even though john and i had been together for quite some time it's still it is it feels like a big step when i got That's to that part time.
1: of your when i got to that part of your book that song from company where it's like because i'm not getting married today like was playing yeah. <laughs> repeat in my head so yeah, good. yeah
2: yeah i'm you know for the second edition i uh john uh he pressed me and he was totally right acknowledge stevenson i'm in the back yeah you know? and then, so i we added that in for the second edition um because obvious, I mean, there was no other title I could I could you know give that book because that's exactly I mean it was so perfect, right? Um, so yeah, I just wanted to prove I could do like a, a long form book uh, solo because you know a lot of the anthologies, Boy Trouble and Table Geddon and all those other things, um, in a lot of ways they were work avoidance. They were just you know like you know I don't want to do a whole book all by myself. I'll just have my friends do it and we'll all do comics about sure jackson you know or we'll all do comics about our sun signs that kind of thing so it's work avoidance but then you get you get a a neat product at the end you get this great book you know
1: um yeah it's a really fun book to read it's uh your art is just fun it's it's clean and almost wholesome But it very much strikes me, and I'm just meeting you as kind of a stream of consciousness book. It's kind of like you're, I'm picturing you like driving on a road trip in your car and you're just talking to yourself the whole (laughs) way, but but drawing pictures to go along with this like stream of consciousness thoughts. And the flow of that as you read through it, it just makes you feel like I'm having a conversation with you. It's a really, it's a really good read. Can I just
2: say, bless you, that is like one of the nicest things anybody has said about that book, I love that. Yeah, because because I'm a chatty guy I like to chat and if it it comes off as chatty I love 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 that because I just wanted to be easy and fun to read but also to get people thinking and I've had and some people have told me they made them cry and like, great the only time I cried during it was when of course when I was writing about my dog who died you know I was of course I cried during that because I still cry about her but uh yeah thank you bless you
1: I'm going to ask you an odd one. I've written a <laughs> memoir and I know what it's like to write stories about people that you care about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you share a lot about your relationship with your husband in this book. There's a particular panel I smiled at uh, when I was rereading yesterday where you're like, you're in bed and you're like morning person pointing to you and like, not morning person pointing to him. What has it been like for him to have you write about him and share this <laughs> story with others?
2: oh he he loves it and like when we we've done book when we've done book events like he he's introduced me and done Q and A's with me because who else do I trust more you know John's a communications guy too like that's his you know he has a PhD in that um and and he's been really wonderful um during um during the ALA conference in Chicago um Seth you you met um uh Brett, brett uh uh brent uh who was our public yeah, name brand Br- brandon yeah. yeah um um i he turned he just said yeah he takes good care of you <laughs> yeah. um uh and he does yeah uh um yeah john the, i think the one thing john did tell me like you know john i'm sorry i know you'll probably be listening to this he did say like you know you do draw us looking at our computers Uh, And I'm like, John, let's own it. Like we're at our computers a lot. We just are, you know, Um, it's not that we don't we're not always there, but like it just seemed like, you know, we do a lot of our best
1: work on our computers. Seth has met my husband. I cannot picture Mike in any capacity introducing me at any event. ever. (laughs) Oh, seriously? (laughs) he would be so scared. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. We really got into it, actually. You know, it was. uh, Yeah. And again, it just it just worked out really beautifully. Yeah. He did it in Ann Arbor. He did it in uh, uh, Minneapolis. He did it in St. Paul, uh, someplace else that I can't think of right now. But like, yeah, it's, yeah, we're a good team. He takes good care of me, as, you know, Brandon said.
3: That's awesome. There was one moment that I really liked in uh, in your book where you were talking about how you went to the courthouse and then people encouraged you to go out into that sort of courtyard structure. And one of the things I really liked about your book and kind of to that point you were making about the contrivances, lots of people construct marriages like, oh, this is just the thing that happens. But you highlighted a lot of the unpredictability and um, ways that things don't always go the way that you would expect them to go. And yeah. so I, I, I'd be curious you talk a little bit more about um, maybe a little bit more about those kinds of things and how you felt like there were other sort of situations like that as you were either writing this book or in your own life experience tied to that situation of, oh, we thought it was gonna go this way, but actually this entirely different thing happened.
2: Yeah, well, you know, weddings in general, like I think so much of the stress and tension comes um, to people, for people who think it has to be like this perfect golden moment in their lives. You know, they they put so much um, stress on the whole thing. And make it into this big huge things and john and i we are low-key people and we just like you know we're just we just want to kind of go do the thing and then go out to a fabulous dinner that was for that <laughs> for us that was like the main thing is we're real like we're we're food people we really like john's a fantastic cook and yeah. um uh yeah it's just uh having an agenda going into it i just we, i just again we just kind of just want to do the thing and have it be done and, and but the whole time i was thinking wow you know i think this really could make a good story i mean I'd like explore this story a little that, bit um, that
3: moment was evocative and i think it also highlighted a nice uh inter, intersection and in sort of what you're talking about about some people feeling fear about sort of being put in that more public situation and you use the term quietly political in the book and i thought that that was an interesting way to frame how you thought about your work
2: well you know and the funny thing is is like people people, I I said it in the book, people love, love, and we just, we had nothing but you know we live in a blue bubble we live in saint paul and, and before that <laughs> minneapolis and and people were just nothing but supportive and stuff so we had nothing to complain about and i made sure to do an anti-tribute to kim davis um i did uh, and she recently i guess she just uh, ran into some more hot wires. she got fired which she should have been a long time ago um well, did you, you see know
3: the woman the in kentucky
2: yeah i think that's what it was yeah, it's like you know uh,
3: she's
2: gonna owe about a quarter
3: million dollars in a suit yeah, in a civil suit
2: yeah you know like you this is your job do it or just or quit you know if it's, if it's so does. offensive to you to get people married for and those was, of you
1: that don't know who kim davis is i'm just gonna let you look it up on your own yeah
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah just just she thought no. she was being, she <laughs> thought she was being rosa parks or something but but you know she basically she was just being homo- uh, a homophobic twerp you know and and yeah. So I, I'm glad. I'm actually really glad I put that in. She really offended me. And it really pissed me off, too, when she stopped getting issuing licenses to anybody, like huh? straight or gay, just so she wouldn't have to do the gay. I mean, I just thought, what is, what is wrong with you? So anyway, that's that's my anti-tribute to Kim Davis and wherever recorded in the pages of Marry Me a Little. <laughs> I am pages. a...
1: I am a therapist in my day job. I do a lot of marriage counseling and I have a conversation with folks a lot about the shifting tones of marriage, how we still kind of define marriage culturally as like the 1950s till death do us part, daughter Reed kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But nowadays it's more, it's more kind of serial monogamy for a lot of people. Uh, if it's not healthy, we leave it behind and we move on to something else. You explore the concept of marriage and what it means in culture a lot, which is interesting and kind of why it's important for queer people to even have the option uh, a question for yeah. each of you. What is your favorite most dramatic wedding in fiction? Uh, the Red Wedding from Game of Thrones is always at the top of my list. <laughs>
2: that's awesome. Um, I would say mine. Uh, uh, I'm going to just go ahead and go with Muriel. So I'm actually doing a comic about oh. Muriel's wedding because I didn't get a chance to put it in the book because that's like, I love that movie so much. So and it's, it's, it's. And the, and the reason actually I didn't put it in that chapter about what is because it doesn't follow the tropes. You never know what's going to happen. They do not. I mean, it's not even about getting married. Really Mar- marriage for her or wedding is it's a symbol to her of, of making of being a success. She doesn't actually really care about uh, the guy, you know, even though he's really hot and he's cute and stuff, but he's cold as ice. And it really, the main—it's—it's it's like like the movie Bridesmaids. It's more about female friendship. That's the the core of that movie. It's her relationship with Rhonda, you know, and how she betrays her temp for a while. And anyway, if you haven't—I'm not going to go into it too much because I don't want to spoil it for anybody. If you haven't seen Muriel's Wedding seriously watch that movie and then and i will release that comic some i just barely started it now and I, I promise we'll get it out sometime this year you know it'll be about a five page thing you know so i'll probably put it online
1: uh scott and seth do you have a favorite wedding story
2: uh from fiction
1: uh yeah uh-huh uh
3: i i was thinking because there are a bunch of them but like the one that i was thinking about the most uh when i when i stay up late to work i will watch reruns of 30 rock the, the tv show from like the early aughts and i always loved liz lemon's wedding because it was so completely ridiculous where like the, the thing turns she decides she's gonna wear a princess leia dress for her wedding gown like they put in uh teeth brace uh, they put in gold braces and their teeth for because they found them in Green prospect park where they met uh uh tony, what's his name the guy who did this, this is terrible the guy who did the duet with lady gaga uh, tony bennett comes to oh, sure, sure. Yeah, the yeah. wedding and it's just, it was it was very charming to me because it it's a little, it reminded me a little bit of this book where it's sort of like, oh, we're just going to get married. We're going to do it. It's going to be fine. And we're going to make it happen today.
1: Um, uh, so I, I love the younger generation that associates Tony Bennett only with Lady Gaga. <laughs> I really
3: had a moment there. I was trying to, I was trying to play. Yeah, I was like, I know this, I know this
1: man, I should know who it is.
3: It was not mom,
1: <laughs> Seth, how about
0: you? Do you have a favorite wedding story? Oh, not really. I mean, maybe like Wolverine's not wedding to Mariko if we keep on trend with the podcast here something X-Men. Uh, that was I think was just one I remembered reading as a kid and being like, "Oh, that was dramatic." But uh that's about it. We do have a number of X-Men wedding stories obviously. The you know Kitty
1: leaving Colossus at the altar. We have a uh, uh Emma Frost and Iron Man pretty recently. We've got Wolverine and Mariko and of course uh X-Men number 30 which is the famous Cyclops Jean Grey wedding which we celebrate. Uh in in so many ways still Um, Rob, my show is named Gray Malkin Lane because that's the street the X-Men live on. And the concept of mutants having to leave their homes and go somewhere else to find their family, that sense of community is what I'm trying to build here. You mentioned uh, the search for community. Uh, Can you talk about the community that you found through your zines a little bit and how uh, how that has changed over the years?
2: Oh, yeah. Well, people come and go so quickly around here um yeah yeah I just yeah I made I made pals with people in Canada and and just you know and some of the artists some of the um like I was really into meeting everybody men women whatever um but eventually um in the middle like as as in a few uh years time after I started strange looking exile there was um uh, lesbian cartoonists, women cartoonists, queer women were just really like they were on a tear, and they even had a lesbian cartoonist network, of course. Um, and I just thought, well, you know, I want to get some more boys. The, the, all the boys are just doing all this, you know where where are all the where are all the boys doing alternative comics, stuff that I really relate to my generation or whatever? So I started boy trouble. um, and uh, it made me really happy. Like I remember one one of the guys, I think Andy Hartzell, he was going to London uh, for something. And he, I think he met up with Sina uh, Shamsavari or Cena. I think he goes by Sina Sparrow now. Um, and it made me really happy that these two Boy Trouble cartoonists who, who I kind of, I think kind of knew each other through Boy Trouble or, you know, like interacted that way. And he hung out with Cena when he was in London. And I just liked that cross pollination. I liked getting everybody together. You know, we had at the Queers and Comics conference in the first one in 2015 in new york city we had a there's a, i have a picture of all of us boy trouble boys like there was me and john macy and um uh and, Cena. and you should probably have john macy on your show by by the way i think he was but he let's talk work later work. i'd love to yeah yeah um he has a book coming out soon um let's see where i lost myself here but i i don't know just just um just you know, we we all we've all gone on to other things. Some people have become filmmakers. Other people have are writers, um, mystery writers or novelists or whatever. And it, it just it just I think zines just really give people a their start. And some people never leave. Some people keep doing them. They I I did my last zine not not even like ten years ago. Um, I just like I just like having somebody else do the work, you know. So like if I can get a publisher, I just I, I prefer <laughs> that. Yeah, <laughs> I think Gaffrey I mean- did. The, I think I did after I did the table getting zine. I think that's the last bull zine I did. Then after that, I managed to get um, um, oh god ninth art press to do my zodiac anthology comic and my Shirley Jackson anthology comic. Then and, and and then there's marry me. So and I've got a new book in the works right now in my head. So let's see.
1: Having uh, self published a couple times, that's my biggest barrier to writing more. Is I just don't want to self publish again. <laughs> it's so much. No. Uh, some people
2: love uh, it. And, you know, some people are real, are, they're real business savvy and they love doing it. And and me like, no, it brings me to my knees. Don't want to
1: do it anymore. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to presume she's directly involved because that's how the universe works. What is it like to have your name on the lips of Oprah Winfrey?
2: Well, not, I mean, it was in her magazine. It wasn't, I mean, she didn't say it, but I mean, it's, I'm
1: assuming. Rob, I just said, we're presuming she's directly involved. Oh, okay. Okay. We're (laughs) presuming that. Okay. (laughs) Like, like,
2: yeah. Oprah, like, I love you. i you know, the thing is that, you know, who doesn't love Oprah? We're We're best friends now. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, totally. They make jokes about it all the time. Like, uh, um, yeah. 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 Oops. And, and I were very, very, great. She hasn't given me a car or anything, but that's okay. Like just putting me in her magazine was like was really a thrill, you
0: know, were and, you given uh, a heads up or was that just a big surprise?
2: Uh, yeah, actually. Uh, um, um, Kendra uh, gave me a heads up early on. She's like, you cannot tell anybody. No, ah. no, no. I said, can I tell John? She did. Okay. Him. But, and nobody else.
1: So, you know, I uh, Kendra below job. the, the, uh, editor of graphic Moody who we had on the yeah. show once I uh, love. Oh, you
2: did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she's, she's great. She's
1: yeah. Wonderful.
2: I was bummed when we went to SPX, she heard her back and Seth and Seth and I got to hang out, but we, it w- would have been fun to have her. I got to hang out with her at, at ALA, the uh, Chicago, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, in in chicago the ala that's the uh what american library association convention that was really cool graphic monday had a table there and and i met kendra and brandon and Jay and and uh jason and I'm like blanking on names and they hung up with mk and and everybody it was super super fun i you should have been there seth i
0: wish i wish you had was your well, book out? Yeah, it was out. But Yeah, well, I, one of the things, I, I had just been at TCAF, one of the things that was really yeah. um, so cool about meeting you at SPX, um, sad that Kendra wasn't there, but awesome to hang out with you, is just all of the absolute love that you get from uh, people just love Rob, I just have to say it like he's just someone that people just magnetically can't wait to speak to. And it was so fun to watch you navigate the crowd. And and seriously, the, wow. Yeah, yeah. And, wow. and your book, everyone was so excited to talk to it, But you had such a history with so many artists there. And it was oh. such a warm and wonderful space. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I really picked up the through line was that you had spent such a time carving out space at these cons you know like you had really given especially to queer artists but other people just who needed space and and a, a place there and you had done so much work just yeah, by you, being yourself you know yeah
2: you know seth it's like it's funny like you just you all of a sudden you look at you you, you do it for a while and all of a sudden you like you look at like, wow i have a real body of work there and oh there's a network i know a lot of people and 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 it really is like life just keeps happening while you're living it. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have a backstory and and that's I, how long have you been doing comics,
0: comics, not that, comics? Not, not so long. Um, yeah. Yeah.
2: Long. Yeah, get, yeah. I mean, before you know it, you're just going to look at one point, you're just going to go, wow, look at look at look at this. This is really cool. You know, having, you know, again, having a good a good backstory, you know. So, and I appreciate all the sweet things you said. And one of my the highlights of that was when we all went to dinner, I remember we went to miss summer and, and yeah. all those. That was super fun. Yeah,
0: it's great. But just uh, like, I have to say to anybody that just gets to go to cons, it's just such a wonderful way to network and meet other people who are doing the same really awesome and really frustrating job that you, you know. Yeah.
2: It can it's, come well, it's, in, you know? it's validating it's something you you realize it's all bigger than you you know than yourself and you're part of something in whatever way a tiny part whatever but you're part of something that's bigger than you and and it's and it's 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 nice to just sit back and look and just watch what's going on around you you know
1: you would presume a community like this would be very competitive, but my exposure to it in my limited way has seen, like, I've seen people who are so supportive and kind and like rooting for each other and genuinely happy for each other, you yeah. know, unless someone's really shitty to another person. That's, that's a different <laughs> type of story. Yeah, and that happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, to transition just a little bit, uh, let me turn this uh, over to Scott first and then Rob. Uh, I would love to hear about your early introduction to comic books and or the X-Men. Where did your journey begin?
3: uh i can start <clears throat> i i always talk about this but uh, i think my first the first co- i read a lot of comic books uh, uh my grandfather had a bunch of justice league and superman comics from the 60s and then i would hang out at his house and they were in his basement. And i would go look through them and they were you know those really classic ridiculous super science and super dickery kind of comic books um but i, I was really fascinated by them from a pretty early age and i remember maybe in the first comic book I remember reading, getting into the X-Men was Excalibur number 42, which is the one where the little, uh, it's, it's Nightcrawler, Shadow Cat, Megan, and all of them, and they're in the lighthouse, and then they've spent the night, you know, rescuing people off of a railroad disaster, and then a little, what they put an egg into a pot, because they're making breakfast, and the egg pops them out, and it says it's Egbert, and it's gonna, it explodes and blows up in the lighthouse, and then they get their, they get their asses kicked by, uh, uh, by the tech net uh and they sort of have to recover and get their get their get their shit together so they can that's get a, it back together
1: is that hard boiled howie yes that's <laughs> that right hard boiled howie
3: uh i didn't know it at the time though but it's like a nice self-contained story it's and it's a very like i've always really enjoyed the superheroes uh superheroes uh, uh the quiet hours of superheroes like what do they do when they're not doing missions and that one was really nice in that sort of way so really inspired it it's it's uh it's a great it's a great book and it really got me into excalibur and the x-men pretty quickly
1: that's fun go see my conversation with uh jordan White and anna papard on uh on gatecrasher where we talk a lot about how my old Howie he's, uh, he's... a <laughs> <laughs> uh, how about you rob
2: um yeah uh you know i almost before i i almost sent you this little comic i did called comics nerd a brief history um it's from a an anthology called Subcultures that Whit Taylor um, um, edited for um, Ninth Art Press. And the first panel, I'm sitting in my dad's lap and I'm a little kid and and he's reading to me from the Peanuts Treasury. Uh, I, you know, I started with that. And then um, and then um, I'm uh, reading Harvey <laughs> comics. And then and then with my brother, I'm reading House of Mystery um and and there's and he's reading the tales of the unexpected and there's a copy of the witching hour so those are the dc horror comics and um and there's even a picture of me right so basically to say which is to say i just kind of went from one thing to another everything i i loved comics were food to me um the fourth panel i'm writing a letter to destiny who was the host of weird mystery tales (laughs) from dc comics and they actually I didn't find out until years later they actually printed it. And it's Robbie Kirby from Detroit, Michigan. Um, and I'm writing about how the the how much I love the art or whatever, just a brief little letter and they printed it. I was like, oh my God, they printed this. Um, and then with my friends David and Eric in middle school, we were huge into Marvel stuff. Like we loved, I loved the Fantastic Four. I was never a big X-Men though, guy. Um, I was, I liked Thor and the Fantastic Four and Spider-Man, and I liked those comics so much because um, they had drama and backstory and soap opera, you know, like, um you know like Reed and and Sue's marriage was on the rocks through most of the time I was reading it I mean there you know she could she he did something something very Shakespearean I think he had to like kind of sacrifice his son who became catatonic to save the world and Sue was just like oh my God how could you do that to our son and so she was like so she like basically I think she finally left him and then and she took up with the Submariner who was you know you know hot Submariner right um and spoiler alert, turns out at the end of this one episode, like Submariner actually like kind of like was doing machinations to get them back together. It's like good old Namor, you know, what a good guy. You know, so uh God, sorry that, if I sounds, that. That,
1: that saga sounds a lot like the Cyclops Gene X Factor, baby Nathan sent to the future, kind of kind of shit. Uh Rob, here's a here's a good opening to our issue review. Uh fuck fuck Mary Kill. We'll throw Namor in there because he's a shirtless little gay dreamboat. Uh, Namor, uh, Craven the Hunter, and Kazar.
2: Oh, oh, oh. Okay. Um, okay. Wait, say that again. It's like fuck Mary fuck, and fuck Mary kill. Um. Okay. Kill. Uh. Uh. uh the, the who's the hunter's name again? Craven the Hunter. Oh yeah kill him like, he's fucking annoying to- to- <laughs> toxic masculinity in its in the flesh right <laughs> um uh, uh maybe fuck the uh the uh kazar uh right is that <laughs> yeah <yep. laughs> and then and then marry the submariner because i mean seriously i mean he he like tried to get reed and 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 uh sue back together i mean like clever namor and plus he's got those little wings on his on his feet right it's very uh, it has nothing Polish. to do with his
1: undersea kingdom by the way this is a phrase no one has ever said before clever namor <laughs> yeah clever clever namor
2: you know arrogant but like you know let's face it that can be kind of hot right um and yeah I mean, and yeah you have a whole kingdom i mean come on yeah Mary namor so and we're he gonna had his own show he had his own little did you guys see, ever see that I, I have watched. i have watched songs.
0: clips of it
1: yes
2: I can sing all the, there was Captain America was on Monday, Tuesday was the Hulk, Wednesday was Iron Man, which had the grooviest theme song. Uh, I mean, if you want to sing a theme song
1: for us, I'm into it.
2: Okay, okay, let's do Tony Stark makes you feel he's a cool exec with a heart of steel as Iron Man all jets ablaze, blaze he fights and fights with pulsar rays amazing power that's Iron Man amazing something that's Iron Man.
1: Thank Excellent. You. Yay. <laughs> Weirdly to enjoy today's issue I would recommend someone go watch one of these old cartoons and then come and read this issue. This issue has a very, we've been talking about this with the Amazing Adventures reviews. It's got like a very Scooby-Doo kind of early 70s animation vibe. You got to add some like laugh tracks, some awkward sound effects. The, uh, the animation's a little bit off of sync, you know, with with what's yeah. happening. That's the energy we're putting in here. We're going to review Astonishing Tales number one. This is a book from August 1970. This is Jack Kirby and Stan Lee working together at kind of a late time for them. Uh, They weren't really getting along in this period, but they did churn out at least a few issues of these 10-page stories. Uh, This book is not meant to be confused with another long-running book called Tales to Astonish, which is much more famous. This is Astonishing Tales. It's an anthology book much like Amazing Adventures was, where they are telling a split-format story. So if you remember that time, and nobody does, that Kazar and Doctor Doom were sharing equal billing on a book, (laughs) this is a crazy adventure. We are not reviewing the Doctor Doom story, although it's kind of fun. Uh, Go back and read his story about the Doomsman if you want Going to be reviewing the 10 page story about Craven the Hunter and Kazar. This is delightful. It's it's silly. It's not X Men related, but this story does set up, and we will get to this in a couple of episodes, the introduction of beloved characters, Garak the Petrified Man and Zaladane, who appear shortly after this. Uh, Kazar is, if people remember, go back and listen to the Trial of Kazar or the Trial of Craven the Hunter if you want more dense histories on these characters. Kazar was one of Marvel's original heroes back in the late 1930s, early 40s. Uh, They brought a rebranded version of him back, just like they did with the Human Torch uh, in X-Men number 10. So this is an X-Men character at this point. He debuts in the Savage Land, which is the Antarctic uh, jungle that has dinosaurs in it. Uh Kesar had a series of adventures and a few other titles, including a run in Daredevil in the late 60s, where it gives us his his uh his backstory of being like the child of a British lord who gets abandoned in the jungle. Not super relevant here. Craven the Hunter, of course, is Sergei Kravenov, who is a classic Spider-Man villain. He is, uh, he wears like a lion vest uh, over his like open, uh, excuse me, op- over his like naked chest. The lion vest can shoot nipple lasers. He wears cheetah print pants and like a fanged belt. Uh, he loves potions. He loves uh, hunting shit. He just wants to collect everything. He's got like a real Pokemon mentality. Uh, and the story basically here, to sum it up in a few words, is he sees a picture of Zabu and wants Zabu for himself, so he fights with K- with Kesar. That's That's kind of the story that we're setting up. So this isn't technically an X-Men story. It is X-Men adjacent, and we have covered both of these characters on my show. It's also just delightfully fun. This is a ridiculous and kind of lovely story. Our next five episodes are all going to be based in astonishing tales all featuring Kazar on a series of misadventures. Uh what was it like for the three of you to step back into 1970 and read this uh ridiculous story by Stanley Jack Kirby, Sam Granger and Sam Rosen? Uh Seth, do you want to take this one first? What was it what was it like for you?
0: Oh, you know, it It's nostalgic in the way that I really didn't like the 60s comics, but it it also reminded me, um, and Rob, please correct me if I'm misremembering the story, but I went to a panel where Rob was hosting Marie, Naomi, and Justin Hall, and she told a story about how she had heard about Jack Kirby's death and thought that we lost the cartoonist Rob Kirby, (laughs) and was really heartbroken about it until she realized Rob was just fine. And I thought that was a very funny story. Uh, side note, my 12 year old asked
1: me, Who are you interviewing today? And I said, Rob Kirby. And they're like, Is that like Jack Kirby's son? That was a question I got this morning. <laughs> I've been hearing this all my life. <laughs> 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 Ever since I started
2: cartooning, you know, like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> Rob King Kirby. <laughs> uh, Rob, what was it
1: like for you to jump into this early 70s oh, story?
2: Oh, total nostalgia. And like I said, like I told you, like it's just a, it was just a few years before I started actively reading these things. So, like, yeah, it all was like, Um, and I was like, I didn't know how we, what we were going to exactly talk about, but so I was like taking notes. And some of my notes were like, like, what did I, what did I say? I said, like, um, they were like, they forgotten how characters in these old comics narrate their own actions. Like Craven's like, (laughs) he staggers, but prepares to rise again. And they refer to themselves in the third person. Craven claims his prize and Kazar is no mammoth. Um, and, uh, and also Caesar has quite the vocabulary for a jungle man. He's like, and now the reckoning. I mean, that's hilarious. That, that yeah, I'm you're gonna wreck, you're gonna reckon, man. The the reckoning.
1: I this just, is a this is a delightful yeah. time capsule, this little issue. Scott, do you wanna tell us about the cover of this book?
3: I would love to talk about the cover of this book, um, because it is a very classic late 60s, early 70s thing. Uh huh. So first of all, instead of the hyphen for Kazar, they've got his little zabu on there on the title, which is fantastic. And then they've got a lot of word bubbles and other things on it, including "in the clutches of Craven the Hunter," uh, which is you know perfect. And and, and, and for H-Zar, context, in-
1: zabu zabu's head is the dash between K and Zar. <laughs> yes, exactly.
3: Because for whatever reason, we need to hyphenate his name. Um, the other thing that I really like, I actually really like the like the composition of the main picture, which is Kazar you know, leaping in on his giant vine and obviously defying the laws of physics to do that, uh, to, like, you know, the, deliver a, sort of a roundhouse punch to Kraven and Zabu's tied up in the back. Like, from a composition perspective, that's actually really strong. Foucault um, defies the laws of physics and doesn't really vibe with what goes on in the rest of the comic, but, you know, covers all this line.
2: Look at his leg. Look at his, like, the, his legs on the cover, like, you know, like, uh, uh, Kazars legs, like, um, they're like a like a pose almost like you know it could be like a pinup. Sort of thing. Like, These are always as very
1: cheesecakey. Yeah, sure. yeah,
2: yeah. And of course, in this ca- in this case, it's beef beef-cake-y, beefcakey as cheesecake. Yeah. You know, this is a very
1: busy cover. Uh, it's uh, it's astonishing tales featuring Kazar and Doctor Doom in the cl- clutches of Craven the Hunter, yeah. in the shadow of Doomsday. Two of Marvel's mightiest together in one mind. Like there's so many words. Uh, the images here are by Marie Severin and Bill Everett. I don't know who did which, but I love yeah. Marie Severin. My favorite part of the cover is the little corner box where Dr. Doom is menacing like a monster with Kesar's head floating above him, which is hilarious to me. Uh, we'll have more Dr. Doom conversations on my show sometime, but today's not that day.
2: <laughs> yeah, Dr. Doom was always like, again, I always loved Dr. Doom, and I'd be curious to read that story. Because, because um, again, I was a Fantastic Four kid, so um, yeah, Dr. Doom was like, he was, the, he. you know, every superhero has... Their ultimate nemesis, and I believe that was Doctor Doom, was pretty much the Fantastic Four's, you know, like biggest foe, right?
1: I uh, I love sixties villains. I'm currently reading yeah. every appearance of Modok for a future trial on my show, and it's been a delightful ride. I I I'm not ready for Doctor Doom yet. <laughs> I can't, I can't <laughs> do it yet. <laughs> uh, let me hear some of your thoughts on Jack Kirby's art in this phase of his career. We'll just kind of address the art conversation in one. It's it's beautiful. It's a it's a different format for Kirby, for sure. It's very cartoony. Uh, it's very punchy. Uh, there's lots of dinosaurs and lots of kind of brawls and teeth and fangs. It's interesting. It, it doesn't feel like Kirby in the normal way. What are your thoughts on his pencils here?
3: I'm going to cede this one to one of the two uh, professional artists on the list. <laughs> uh.
0: You know, it's interesting. I I do think the thing about Kirby's he has so much weight to his figures, like they're always very heavy. I mean, like the hands are massive. The there is just like, I, I don't know, like gravity is very like literal gravity is very serious yeah. in Kirby's world, um, even to like Kazar's hair. Like I always find it interesting, like everything looks like it's just being weighed down he's still so good at like the, like the dynamics in his, his panels. I've just, I think I've never been attracted to like the very slab like way he, he draws. Um, yeah, yeah. like
2: Yeah. His, it's, it's, like You see a Jack Kirby face and you know, that's Jack Kirby. They're very, they're very like, I like that. You said slab. It's like, yeah, he's like, he's a slabist, you know, it's just, everything's so bulky and big and chunky and, and, um, it, it like weighty. Yeah. It's yeah. I it, it, I I always I always love the way he did water, the way he always does those little uh circles. Uh that, 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 Yeah, yeah I've that's been always the thing that I've loved. i I've, I've never been the hugest Jack Kirby fan, but I just I really do when I really look at it, I mean I, I really admire it. And I love the like look at him page uh uh page of uh, when is this word which page is that uh page eight the second panel the guy going craven get craven tell him to hurry that huge mouth it's just like wah it's yeah. just really bold and in your face
1: right people have studied kirby so intensely the way he draws mouths their hands or monsters or yeah. t- if we look just at the way he draws hair in this issue, we look at Craven the Hunter's hair versus Kazar's hair. It's a whole study in like comic books, just that alone, and like the styles of the time. So we open this book, and again, we're skipping the Dr. Doom story. This story is called "The Power of Kazar." Uh, featuring the sinister savagery of craven the Hunter. The splash page, I think, is fascinating. It is a close-up of Craven staring kind of intently with his blue eyes and, like, porn stash. Uh, he's he, he has a copy. Uh, if you guys have read the series The Marvels, which is the Kurt Busiek story, where, you know, kind of everything in the Marvel universe exists at once. You just have to piece it together. This idea of Kazar getting a full magazine spread in Live Magazine, there's 20 pages of never before seen photos from the Savage Land, which is very public information at this point. Kazar also had a criminal trial in Daredevil where he was accused of murder. So there's a shirtless man on this famous magazine. I'm picturing Craven picking this up, like, while he's picking up some Hot Pockets at the grocery store. And he's like, aha! <laughs> <laughs> he takes it home. at last, I have found the perfect subject for my hunt. Kazar's tiger, the only such beast to walk the earth in a million years. I must have him. The tiger must be mine. Uh, and he is so horny for capturing Zabu here. Uh, I thought there was nothing left for me to hunt. But there is, there is. He's also very manic. He's lounging about his house in a blue suit jacket and tie. Uh, he is preparing to hunt. He pushes a button on a little panel, goes in the back and changes into his classic kind of lion mane, fang, cheetah print, Craven the Hunter costume. We have to have a conversation about his living room here. Uh, Rob Kirby, do you want to describe Craven the Hunter's living room decor?
2: My goodness. <laughs> it is, yeah, it is. Oh, there's a lot going on there. Uh, he's got this kind of like, like that lamp. I love that lamp. I how would <laughs> I even describe that lamp? It's like it's um it just looks it's kind of Victorian but drawn by Jack Kirby and there's that that big fireplace and it's got all these insignias uh uh above it like carved into you know in, in, into the into the the stone and 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 then
1: the uh,
2: what do yes. you call that thing? What, what? He has a
1: taxidermied gorilla, a tiger skin rug, a bear head, an elephant head, a tiger head, a taxidermied, I think that's a cow of some kind. An ox head, and then there's like tribal shields and regalia all over the room. Uh, Craven, there is a fine line between cultural appre- appreciation and cultural appropriation. You are not—he
2: has—he has stepped over it. Yes. he has <laughs> stepped over that line in a tanky, big way. You know, yeah, <laughs> and and you definitely get the sense that he just cannot wait to put on his outfit. You know. He he,
1: he is in his manic phase, and he is so yeah. horny for this saber-toothed tiger. We exactly. jump to the Savage Land, where there is a mammoth stampede in fear of something. Uh, Kazar, we see him right away in his loincloth, hanging out with his brother, Zabu. They grew up together. It's his brother. Uh, and they are running to kind of see what is scaring the mammoths. The stampede is drawn rather unimpressively, but that one central mammoth is, is kind of a cool shot. Uh, there are pits that have been dug, and he doesn't know what's happening, but Craven has already arrived. So it's page two, and we are already, like, jumping—or page three, we're jumping fully into this story. There's very little setup. Craven has somehow gotten to the Savage Land— Doug Pitts set up nets, and he is ready to capture Zabu, who he blasts with his nipple lasers. Uh, and uh, he's very ready to take this tiger home. Zabu is trapped in a net. Craven has some tranquilizer spray ready, and uh, and he's off. He's ready to go home with a caged saber toothed tiger. It was quite quick. He's a very impressive hunter. It is in the name. Tell me your thoughts
0: on this battle between Craven and Zabu. I mean, as all the studying you've done of Craven, Chad. How does he activate his nipple lasers you know we never
1: quite figured that out but i kind of think he does a little shimmy do
2: <laughs> <laughs> <Pew, laughs> you think it's like a kind of a carry thing where like he does it with his mind like a kind of a telic- like like you know like you know n- nipples activate you know
3: cyclops thing like you know how they're like he must have some kind of like clip in his gauntlet or glove or something
1: um, when, when we make fun of Craven for his nipple lasers in his trial, it is not a one-time thing. He uses these nipple lasers no, like a hundred times dead. in the 60s and 70s. It's amazing.
3: I The other thing I noticed about okay. this, though, is, you know, through this whole issue, you've been calling it the Savage Land, but they don't actually reference the word Savage Land, the term Savage Land, once. They talk about the jungle and those other things. So I thought that was, I mean, it clearly is the Savage Land. We know it's the Savage Land, but he... I wonder where the Savage Land fits into the timeline on this one.
1: Uh Khazar gets knocked into a pit. Uh he he talks about how I am a man, not a mammoth, so I'm able to climb out of the pit, which he does. And then he sees the helicopter flying away with the cage suspended beneath it, with Zabu in the cage, unconscious. And if they are flying from Antarctica all the way back to fucking New York or wherever Kazar is staying, that's completely unrealistic. That helicopter had to stop several times. <laughs> uh, we see an image of like a weird kind of sloppy bear over by Kazar. I'm going to presume that's some Ice Age creature. Uh, Kezar then jumps off a cliff, down a waterfall, into a river, swims up to a boat that is there. Well, apparently there's some people kind of gathering supplies, uh, beats everyone up on the boat. He's very, very upset, doesn't even ask for help. He's kicking people, he's punching people, he's tossing people around. And there is, oh, Zabu's on the boat. The helicopter only went to the boat. That yeah. made more no sense. It didn't go back to New York. Strike that. Strike that In your
3: defense, there are a number of comics where they're just like, "Oh yeah, I was getting a helicopter." The <laughs> and Spider-Man does that like five times. You're like, "What?" So you're you're fine. In this
1: in this Kraven fight, we get to see Kraven. Or, I'm sorry, Kazar fight. We get to see Kazar looking relatively sexy, and he's punching all these men who have like guns and open jaws. Uh, and then uh, and then Kraven the Hunter is here for the fight. What are your thoughts on uh, Khazar rushing into action here? Kind of impressive.
2: Yeah, and you know none, and none will stop Khazar. None will stop the one who is the br- brother to Zabu. None, none. Love it, and he's beating the hell out of them all. <laughs> um, yeah, and he's the brother to Zabu. So he's is Zabu is his brother. Like the, the
1: the. So Kazar was abandoned in the jungle because his dad died, and then Zabu raised him. It's very Mowgli in the Jungle Oh, look, in that yeah. way
2: that's so cool that like a saber tooth tiger is
1: like the the name kazar means son of the tiger that's that's what he's named oh okay it's very it's very jungle book
2: oh totally it is only just with violence and and nipple lasers and (laughs) yeah um yeah it's uh yeah this is this is great and again i love how like the both both of them like just narrate what's happening you know like you know yeah uh like, you know, you know, he's just like, you know, no, no one's going to do it. The aircraft and he tells and he tells us the aircraft has landed on the deck upon the upon the deck above. He's very um, literate for a jungle guy. And uh, yeah, I just love that. Um, you know, like the bars have great strength, but so have the limbs
1: of Kesar, yeah, you know, And then and he, then so have the hands of Craven Kraven as he jumps yeah. in off the side. Yeah,
2: he just yeah. They yeah, they just they're both just like they're really one-upping each other. No, I've got the biggest dick. Yeah, you know, it's just yeah, especially And then they you know, all And
1: then they are fully having sex for a series of panels. I mean, they're not, but it's very like straight guys wrestling, but like no homo at the same time. Uh, so do you want to mm-hmm. tell us about
0: the Craven the Hunter kazar wrestling match? Oh, you picked me to describe this? <laughs> I sure <laughs> did. <laughs> uh there's a lot of feet in the air and and interesting little frame cuts of craven and all his facial hair i mean from a guy with a mustache i can't imagine having a mustache that dense that is like that is like uh you know the black where no light escapes black type of mustache i it's shocking um yeah so the the two of them fight and roll around uh we only get little clips of it very artfully uh, cropped uh until you have to nope. subscribe to their OnlyFans to get the full video. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> you, are,
3: you, you, the you can draw the rest around your Patreon. It's suggestive content. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's uncanny.
2: <laughs> you know, he might, you know, like, uh, you know, Zabar, I mean, Zabar, um, uh, Frayden may as well have just had like a snidely Whiplash mustache. Have you ever noticed like in these comics, I realized too, generally the guy with the dark hair and the mustache is the bad guy. Mm-hmm. generally speaking
1: yeah and the blonde and, boy is the hero i have not heard the yeah, name he snidely. Like i have not heard the name snidely whiplash in 30 years yeah, ah, yeah. childhood on rush of memories everybody go yeah. look up snidely whiplash yeah uh, yeah amazing and reference.
2: and um and um Kazar is basically thor without the hammer right and, and a different and just in a loincloth i mean that's you know he reminds me very much of jack kirby's thor i mean that's what he looks like
1: there's a key moment there's a key moment in their fight where Kazar lets you know who the hero and who the villain is uh he he's getting ready to toss Kazar or craven aside and he goes men hunt to eat men hunt to live but you your heart is cold your soul is dead you hunt for sport not even a jungle beast will will attack without cause without reason only man can be so evil and that's an entirely fair read. He's got Craven suspended over his head. Uh, Craven keeps calling him like a jungle savage, a bra- like a brainless savage. Uh, and then the men show up and douse Kazar with uh, with some tranquilizer spray, which is one of those like old '60s Batman things. Everything comes in an aerosol can, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I love this kind of shit. And they fucking throw <laughs> Kazar off the side of the boat. Uh, they're gonna leave him for the fish. Ah, uh, Scott, tell us how this story winds up.
3: Yeah, so the story kind of winds up pretty quickly. Like I thought, it was an interesting story in that Kazar doesn't really like succeed at the stuff he needs to do. He basically showed up. Like Craven was incredibly like well played out and really you know had a like plan to defeat Kazar. him, threw him off the boat, and Craven won. Uh, you know he takes the he takes the he takes the cat back with him as his you know prize latest prize possession to New York. And Kazar is following along. That's sort of the is okay to just like talk about the ending.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Oh, yeah. So yeah, so we see them all get on the boat. Kazar delivers yet another monologue. Like he really like, he, he must have in addition to all of his like athletic abilities, you know, incredible breath control to be able to be like, oh yeah, I'm just looking to do all this stuff, and then also just chat with you about it while I'm doing it. Um, but yes, he says that ominous line. But the time has come for leave the jungle now and he somehow managed to get himself to New York.
1: Yeah. If you're going to tell if you're going to tell a Kazar story, you either give him big threats in the jungle that he has to fight against or you take the man out of the jungle and put him in civilization to see how he copes. So, so these last couple panels where he's kind of awkwardly walking around in a coat, it zooms in on his like shoes, and, like how weird mm-hmm. that must be for him to have shoes and be around people uh the mvps of this story are those guys in the plane that just randomly tossed them a raft that was real nice of them (laughs) yeah Yeah. uh, thank goodness
2: they were around huh (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh this is a transcendently silly story it's uh, almost crazy to spend a whole episode on it but it's a ton of fun and it's just a lovely time to just be able to set this up and again we're building toward garok we're building toward uh zaladade coming up uh in the next couple of issues uh do we have any kind of concluding thoughts on what it was like to read this comic 53 years 54 oh years God. after it was initially published crazy huh
2: yeah yeah just uh no, again nostalgia fest like not, not i had never heard of any of these characters or whatever but it was like it was just fun to read an old jack kirby uh goof fest and uh yeah and again i just the, the dialogue everything's so ridiculous so fun um and just and really and short and so it was actually shorter i thought this was a oh, full length comic and it was going to be a full length comic and i was like oh it's over i wonder how it all turned out is he going to is he going i mean how many how many uh chapters is it is it uh me? i mean we're going to cover the first going?
1: we're going to cover the first 5 chapters but chapters but the craven oh. story wraps up in the next one they're all 10 page oh. uh it goes oh. on after that but we're only covering the first 5 because it's the only ones that are relevant to my show I see. Okay, yeah,
2: because it because it ties into X Men, duh.
1: I mean, loosely, but next issue <laughs> is the first yeah. appearance of Garok, the Petrified Man. Uh, so, it, for for those that are following, next week when we uh, release our episode, it's going to feature Astonishing Tales number two. My guests on that episode are the incredible combination of Marvel editor Alana Smith. Uh, and indie creators, uh, Liana Kangas and Sarah Gailey. Uh Sarah's a friend of mine who's come on the show a few times. I'll be meeting uh, Liana and Alana for the next uh, episode. And we get to talk all about Horny, Craven, and Kazar a little bit more. It's going to be a good time. <laughs> uh, uh, Seth and Scott, any final thoughts on this particular issue? Uh,
3: the only other thing I wanted to say was that I think it's interesting. We've been talking about on the main show, the transition from 60s style goofy show stories to more serious stories and this one is still very much in the goofy set but when you think about uh the story is told largely from craven's perspective from a villain's perspective and set up this way and he gets to sort of win the win the story and do these other things it starts you can see some of those elements shifting i think is what i would say even in a story as campy and as uh you know silly as this one
1: yeah, yeah, it's, it's I, a tone I, I, shift. There's there's some there's some content here. This is very Silver yeah. Age. Before we get into the more serious content,
0: but it's still very silly. <laughs> yeah. Well, Chad, I was just kind of wondering exactly that. Is like, did they put out Astonishing Tales for people who were nostalgic for Silver Age stories? You wonder, is like it was transitioning in the seventies. The most fascinating part of Astonishing Tales, I mean, the
1: target audience for a lot of these creators was little white kids who'd pick up the books off the stands, right? But the the interesting piece for me is their choice of heroes to highlight here. They chose Kazar and Dr. Doom as their features, which is what that's telling me is readers back then who were writing letters into the company were asking for more content about these particular characters. Dr. Doom is a villain given a feature role in a book, and we're not talking about him here. Kazar is a bit character who has not had a lot of attention, but he's a big guest star that people are excited about. So this is written for people, I think, who were writing letters and asking for more of these particular characters in their solo adventures. But the days of the split book are almost out at Marvel. We got a, we got a couple more years of these kinds of stories because uh, this is where a lot of the early 60s stuff, you know, Doctor Strange and Human Torch and Iron Man and Thor and Hulk all had these split books for a long time. Uh, and that's that's where uh, uh, Amazing Adventures was before, you know, Beast and the Inhumans t- took the full feature, which is where we started the year on my show and ended last year. Uh, so it's interesting. It's it's a dying era.
2: Yeah. So. So, yeah, that's interesting to me that, the, that people wanted to see these more minor characters. And again, pe- never underestimate universe building. People love That shit, they really do. Like, I've recently started reading Stephen King again, and I've been delighting in how he refers. He has a character named Dolores Claiborne talking about that little town, you know, down south that nobody lives there anymore. I'm like, oh my god, she's talking about Salem's Lot, and he he connects things. And there's something we we love that, and that was one of the reasons. Like when the the Avengers movie came out what how many years ago that was exciting it was like for me I was like oh wow all those old characters all together in one movie and I was I couldn't I was super excited to see it um people really they they like they like to expand upon that they like to live in that world and we want to know who's that what's what's his story you know I mean I love that people wanted to know more about Dr. Doom and more about this nutty Khazar guy
1: the the two final thoughts I'll share here quickly. Number one, this issue is really effective, or this story. It doesn't try to drown you in the continuity. It doesn't try to explain who Spider-Man is, or what the Savage Land is, or why there's dinosaurs there. It just kind of gives you a quick 10-page romp, and it's pretty fun. It moves fast. The second thing, we've been talking a lot on my show about how in the early 70s, all the new talent was coming in. Uh, you know, Steve Englehart and Steve Gerber and all these new folks who had a new energy and a new way of storytelling. These are the old guys. This is the old guard teaming up for one more, you know, kind of classic Silver Age story. So it, I, there was there was reasons I wanted to spend time on the show talking about this particular one. But again, we are setting up Garak and Zaladane, which are X-Men favorites uh, from down the line. So. This is the transition point for those stories. Before we launch into more serious content, we're getting ready to do a whole era on my show about government involvement uh, in corrupt politics, as well as fascism. We're going to be, I mean, it's early 70s stories, but we have a lot of big conversations coming up on my show. Uh, I've been texting Seth and Scotty both about like, oh, okay, here's what's coming up. (laughs) So so it's, it's nice to take a breather with this silly story as well. Uh, what a genuinely lovely time with each of you today. Rob, it's so wonderful to get to know you and celebrate your work. Uh, This was just delightful to just nerd out over this old classic comic book together. (laughs) Thank you for your time and your talents today. Uh, As we're wrapping up, where can people find each of you online and where, uh, what would you like to plug given that we're going to put this out in uh, February 12th? Uh,
2: Rob, do you want to go first? Sure. um perfect for Valentine's Day if you have a, if you want oh, a romance, the, somewhat romantic story the about Craven you.
1: love story <laughs> yeah
2: yeah I'm Kazar I get to be Kazar <laughs> um yeah uh Mary, my book marry me a little from graphic Monday press um it's the graphic uh imprint of Penn State University Press and Seth is my 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 you know um classmate from there i think that you coined that classmate uh yeah and you can find me on um, instagram at rob kirby comics uh and you uh i'm not i got off of twitter just because i couldn't stomach what's his face evil space boy Um, for now i'm not on there but i hope i'm hoping someday um kazar or somebody will will knock him out and just and take over and, and and i'll go back there um yeah so yeah that's me
1: fantastic it's great to meet you thank you for sharing everything but mostly thank you for singing for us
2: today <laughs> <laughs> <Not> a, anytime
1: <laughs> uh, over to scott next
0: yeah
3: so you can find me on twitter i still am hanging out on Party party city uh tony stark's uh social media site uh it's d scott degeist so my first my first name and last name if you just type in scott degeist you'll find me so i talk about comics there i also talk about my work as a data scientist so it's a little bit of a mix but you know not super hard
1: to find my my comic stuff. Great to be meeting you. Again, we've spoken, but it's great to see your face. Uh, I'm excited. Scott and I are working together for the Sentinel Takeover Month in April, which is a huge chunk of my show. We've been working hard. I'm very excited about what's coming up. I'm always prepping a few months in advance. So, uh, Scott, thank you. I'm
0: excited to partner for that one as well. Uh, And then over to Seth. Yeah, and join the Gray Malkin Lane Discord where Scott is doing an amazing job as community manager right now. Oh, yeah. If y'all want more stuff, head over there for Gray Malkin Lane content. Uh, for me, um, yep, Valentine's Day is a great time to get Rob's book, so that is an amazing thing to plug, and then as well, if you are not in a uh, lovey holiday spirit, you could always get my book, which is a little bit more of a YA horror book, so that's The Mayor, also from Graphic Mundi, Penn State Press, uh, working on a bunch of other little projects or big projects, but they're all behind the scenes right now. So I would just say if you want to follow me at SC Martell on Instagram, that's a great place to keep up. Seth is also posting lots of
1: delicious X-Men art. Uh, It's wonderful. Uh, Sorry, Rob, I interrupted you.
2: Oh, I said, yeah, everybody gets Seth's books too. It's great. The Mayor. Okay. Thanks, Rob.
1: Yeah, I am thrilled to have both of your books in my collection. Uh, I I am a big fan of both of yours. It's great to meet you. Uh, Happy to call you both friends. Uh, I'm, I'm making that presumption, Rob. We just met, but now, now oh, to you're. Totally. Family, so.
2: Friends for life. Yeah. You have me, yeah. you let me sing on your podcast. I'm there.
1: You're, you're, I'm there for you. I'll be there uh, for you. Luckily, <laughs> I'm Chad Anderson. I keep <laughs> my own social media private because I got kiddos, but the three of you are welcome to add me. But you can follow Gray Malkin Lane, Gray Malkin underscore Lane on Instagram and on Discord. Uh, lots of great stuff coming up on the show. I already plugged the next episode. The next uh, uh, Patreon episode coming out after this, I don't remember what it is, actually. So never mind. I'm going to strike that comment. I can't remember which one is next. Uh, but you can also be uh, ready for later in February, the highly anticipated trial of Marvel Girl or Jean Grey, which has been uh, pe- one people have been excited about for several months. Uh, we will be recording that in a week, and I'm very excited. Uh, so thank you, everybody. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Seth. Thank you, Rob. We will see you back here next time on Gray Malkin Lane. Thank you for listening to Gray Malkin Lane. We hope you are enjoying this podcast. Gray Malkin Lane is produced and recorded in Salt Lake City, Utah, with music and editing done by my husband, Michael Bell, and promo art done by the incredible Seth Martell. Look for us on Patreon where we are releasing weekly episodes about obscure characters and facts. Uh, It's a great way to participate with the podcast for only just a couple of dollars a month and it helps support what we are doing here. Also, the best way you could help Gray Malkin Lane is by sharing and liking and subscribing. But also, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you back here next time on Gray Malkin Lane.